Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, first off, you have our reporter, usual uh, Wednesday reporter, Han Dan, joining us once again. Dan, hello to you. Good evening. And uh, it is not her first time joining us here on Korea Now. It's a uh, uh, old voice of uh, Korea Now. Uh, if uh, listeners uh, remember her, Lee Ji Young is back on our show this time covering Focus on Headline. Chiang, it's good to see you once again. Oh, it's great to be back and uh, great to be back in front of the mic as well. All right, uh, Chiang, we'll be covering uh, Focus on Headline for us for now. Uh, now, let's start things off with some uh, diplomacy-related news here. Uh, senior diplomats of South Korea and the United States uh, having met over in uh, Tokyo on Tuesday to discuss ways to counter North Korea's nuclear threats. Obviously, uh, this has been one of the major issues at hand here. Uh, but there, there was other issues of mutual concern uh, that were uh, covered in the talks. Uh, Don, start us off. Uh, what, what did he discuss there? Right. First, Vice Foreign Minister Cho Hyun-dong and his U.S. counterpart Wendy Sherman got together to discuss ways to further strengthen the South Korea-U.S. alliance against growing North Korean threats and deepen partnership across a range of issues. Cho, during his opening remarks, reiterated that Seoul-Washington's strategic cooperation is ever more crucial, voicing concerns that a new North Korean nuclear weapons policy adopted last month has increased the possibility of its arbitrary use of nuclear weapons, further escalating tensions on the Korean peninsula. He said that any form of nuclear use by North Korea will face an overwhelming and decisive response. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman also warned North Korea against escalating its provocations, calling their latest series of provocations deeply irresponsible, dangerous dangerous and destabilizing. She reaffirmed the U.S. commitment to the defense of South Korea and Japan remain ironclad and that the U.S. will make full use of its military capabilities, including nuclear, conventional and missile defense to defend its allies. The two sides assess that close cooperation is being made between Seoul and Washington, citing the resumption of the Extended Deterrent Strategy Council or EDSCG meeting last month and also discussed ways to further strengthen the effectiveness of extended deterrence. As you know, North Korea's growing nuclear threat and its apparent seventh nuclear test has called into question the effectiveness of U.S. extended deterrence, whether it can really protect South Korea in times of contingency. Uh, although the juicy details on how exactly they plan to bolster U.S. extended deterrence in South Korea uh, remains to be unveiled. Uh, Seoul and Washington are definitely ramping up talks on that front. Chul also relayed the key message on North Korea from President Yoon's budget speech that South Korea will deter North Korea with an overwhelming capacity through security cooperations with the U.S. and Japan. But should North Korea decide to denuclearize, Seoul will provide political and economic support. And Sherman re-emphasized that Washington also still seeks serious dialogue with Pyongyang. 
According to the foreign ministry, the two also discussed other regional issues, such as ways to improve supply chain resilience and strengthen the economic security for both nations, uh, as well as the role of China in the era of President Xi Jinping's third term. On the Inflation Reduction Act that could negatively impact South Korean automakers, Sherman explained that she's well aware of the concerns and that she's considering various measures with relevant ministries. Yeah, not surprising that uh, they brought up the issue of Inflation Reduction Act because, as we know, uh, recently Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen uh, making some remarks in regards to the IRA saying that uh, it's going to be implemented as it is on law, Mm -hmm. uh, which kind of indicated that Washington is not willing to make any kind of wiggle room uh, for Seoul and uh, some of the other European countries out there, although a lot of people are saying, well, then there's the other option, uh, of course, uh, given the uh, the grace period as well. But uh, this is the big question. What happens if North Korea does indeed uh, conduct that seventh nuclear test? Uh, we have that major Chinese uh, political party uh, uh, meeting that's done and over with. We have the U.S. midterm elections coming up on November 8th. Uh, a lot of uh, you know speculations are uh, speculations as to uh, the nuclear weapon test being done in between that time. So it can happen any time. Uh, also, in the meantime, vice ministers of uh, South Korea and Japan holding bilateral talks yesterday as well uh, before the trilateral meeting. This is again to strengthen cooperation uh, while sharing their concerns about North Korea's recent provocations. Uh, Jiang, can you tell us uh, some of uh, the details that were discussed between the uh, two vice uh, ministers during the meeting? here. Sure. Now, first Vice Foreign Minister Cho Hyun-dong met with his Japanese counterpart Mori Takeo yesterday at the meeting, which was initially expected to last for 50 months. It lasted 90 minutes. 50 minutes, right. Uh, for 50 minutes, excuse me. Now, it lasted for 90 minutes. Now, in the meeting, Vice Minister Cho emphasized that President Yoon Suk-yeol in his speech at the National Assembly stated that the South Korea-U.S.-Japan security cooperation would be able to get a hand on North Korea's provocation. And of course, the Japanese vice minister shared his agreement on this matter. Now, they also discussed non-security issues, including the resumption of the mutual visa waiver program, and further suggested that the two countries should work together to increase flights to revitalize exchanges. Now, according to both countries' ministries, South Korea and Japan are accelerating discussions to find a solution to improve relations at many diplomatic levels. But the hot potato between the two countries has to be the compensation for Japan's wartime forced labor. Now, the Japanese media outlets, including the Japan Times, reported that a plan for a Korean foundation to pay for the compensation on behalf of the Japanese companies accused of forced laters is being discussed. However, the two vice ministers have refrained from sharing some of the details of that matter. However, an official from South Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that the countries had in-depth discussions on legal aspects about the implementation of the forced labor compensation judgment. So it it is showing showing some signs that it has some potential of a foundation that might or might not be compensating for the Japanese uh, companies. Yeah, and the, but the, the biggest problem with this is the fact that, again, it's a Korean foundation. Uh, yesterday, when we covered this uh, particular issue of how to go about compensating the, uh, the victims of forced labor, there was a lot of Korean involved in there, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, what we're you know seeking 
is uh, the Japanese company and their compensation. But Japan has made it clear that, I mean, you know, no, no I mean, we're not going to be compensating uh, the, the victims of forced labor. You guys mm -hmm. have to deal with it. Seoul has to come up with whatever kind of uh, issue here. And so they said, oh, we'll set up a foundation where some of the South Korean companies are going to put in some funding and then you use that money to compensate. But of course, the victims are going to say, well, then it's South Korea that's basically compensating for us and it's mm -hmm. not Japan. And so I think right now, uh, Japan likes how this is headed towards and uh, you know this might be a solution but at the same time right now the government has to look into uh, consideration that how will the victims uh, feel about this how will the victims feel about getting compensated through a Korean foundation uh, mm -hmm. and not the uh, these the Japanese companies right so yeah th this is a uh, certainly a hot potato uh, issue here between the two countries uh, in the meantime uh, vice foreign ministers again of the South Korea US and Japan holding a trilateral meeting this afternoon in which they agreed on the need for an unprecedentedly strong response should again North Korea forge again, uh, ahead with the seventh nuclear test. Tan, let's get more on this meeting. All right, not that much detail has been unveiled, but uh, during a press hearing after the trilateral talks, first Vice Foreign Minister Choi Yong-dong said that the three nations agreed that they need an unprecedentedly strong response if North Korea decides to carry out its seventh nuclear test. He said that Seoul and Washington, as well as Tokyo, agreed to bolster close security cooperation to deter North Korea's nuclear threat that's becoming ever more explicit so that the South Korean people can feel safe and carry on with their daily lives. Chul once again pointed out that Pyongyang's barrage of provocations are posing a threat not just to the Korean Peninsula, but the whole Indo-Pacific region, uh, but promised again that political and economic support will be provided to North Korea if it decides to denuclearize and come back to the negotiating table. Sherman, meanwhile, said the U.S. will support Taiwan's ability to defend itself through cooperation with South Korea and Japan. She added that the three sides discussed the issue and that they all agreed that there needs to be peace in the Taiwan Strait. She also welcomed uh, continued assistance for Ukraine from South Korea and Japan. Uh, as the vice ministers all expressed concerns over Russia's irresponsible remarks about the use of tactical nuclear weapons. And I, I have more on that uh, in my later stories. The senior diplomats also discussed the outcome of China's party congress, as well as ways to deepen three-way cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region on various regional issues. The three-way meeting among Chu Hyun-dong, Wendy Sherman, and Takeo Mori marked the second in-person meeting since President Yoon sung yeol took office in May, signaling an improvement uh, from soured Seoul-Tokyo relations the past few years. If you remember, uh, last year, Chu and uh, Mori, they refused to hold a joint press hearing yeah. uh, after holding talks, leaving Sherman with no choice but to appear, make a right. solo appearance I for the joint that. presser. So certainly uh, things are looking, I guess, a bit brighter uh, uh, on the on the diplomatic front between Seoul and Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, certainly room for uh, improvement, obviously. But, uh, you know, the one thing that's standing in the way is the historical issues. And we knew that that's going to be like the toughest thing for the two sides to resolve if they can somehow get be able to resolve that. And it's 
you know, good to go from here. But it is interesting that, again, so far when it comes to North Korea-related issues and North Korea possibly conducting that seventh nuclear test, uh, you know, U.S. is saying it, the South Korean side is saying it, uh, you know, Japan is saying it as well. They're going to be met with very, very strong response should they conduct it, but they don't go into details of this. Uh, and this is, of course, going to have uh, North Korea start thinking, what are they going to do? Uh, if it's just, if they start going, you know, it, it's just going to be sanctions. I'll be like, well, we'll, we'll work okay with sanctions. We'll still go with the uh, nuclear test. But it is a big, big warning. And I think this is this has been probably the, the most stern warning that we've seen from the three sides uh, when it comes to a possible uh, nuclear test from North Korea. Uh, also, from both the trilateral meeting and the bilateral talks, the underlying issue, again, uh, as been, we've been talking about, uh, that all three countries can agree on is North Korea. Uh, and uh, South Korea's defense minister, Lee Jong-sup, also mentioned that it's time to focus on preventing North Korea from using nuclear weapons. Uh young tell us more about this. Yeah, sure. Now, South Korea's defense minister, Lee Jong-sup, took part in a meeting today held by the ruling People Power Party's Committee on the North's Nuclear Threat. Now, he said that it's time to change our strategy when it comes to North Korea and took the stronghand route by saying that the priority should be on deterring the use of nuclear weapons by giving the North a clear sense that if they attempt to use nuclear weapons, it will bring about an end to the North Korea regime and disappear completely. Now, these are pretty strong words. Now, Lee also called for measures to further ensure the execution of the U.S. and extended a deterrence commitment to use full range of its military assets, including nuclear capabilities, to defend an ally like South Korea. Now, he also said that South Korea should also strengthen its own defense capabilities, such as the three-axis system, which refers to the Korea massive punishment and retaliation, which is an operational plan to incapacitate the uh, North Korean leadership in a major conflict, as well as countering the North's evolving nuclear and missile threats. Now, the defense minister also said that we also plan to secure intelligence surveillance assets and should have capabilities to watch all of their moves starting from pre-launch stages so as to neutralize them in advance physically or non-physically. That's right. It's already been reports uh, that North Korea is now uh, done and over with their preparations for this possible nuclear test, which is why we keep talking about this seventh nuclear test. But yeah, the the three-axis system, I believe uh, President Yoon Sagar during his uh, the parliamentary speech on the budget, uh, he mentioned that something like five trillion one, I believe, was going to be put into this, and he was saying, I mean, listen, we're it's a tense situation right now. We're getting more threats from North Korea. We need to put more money into this. So uh, not surprising that the defense minister talked about the three-axis system once again here. Uh, in the meantime, Washington has doubled down that uh, it has no intention of redeploying its strategic assets here in South Korea, saying that it maintains ironclad commitment to defend its allies uh, in the uh, in the Pacific region there. Uh, so, Don, tell us more about this. Right. So he's been uh, repeating similar remarks uh, these past few weeks. Pentagon spokesperson Pat Patrick uh, Ryder said that the U.S. has a long-standing relationship with the Republic of Korea and will continue to work closely with Seoul and other allies to ensure that there's a strong deterrent 
which will prevent situations from developing to the point of any type of conflict. Now, the remarks came in response to a question about the possibility of the U.S. redeploying its strategic assets in South Korea. He technically doubled down that the U.S. has no plans to deploy strategic assets to the region. He said that there's nothing to announce in regards to any changes in force posture. He instead elaborated that the U.S. maintains a robust presence in the Indo-Pacific region and that its security relationships and commitments for its allies continue to be in place. When asked about a simultaneous threat from North Korea, Russia, and China, Ryder said, as emphasized in the national security strategy and defense strategy, the U.S. will focus on China's challenges, but Russia, North Korea, and Iran will also continue to play an important role in terms of U.S. security and its defense posture. He stressed that the U.S. has the forces and the capabilities to secure the U.S. and allied interests. The remarks come one day after Department of State spokesperson Ned Price said the U.S. is prepared to make both short and longer term adjustments to its military posture as appropriate to respond to North Korean provocations, including a nuclear test. The Biden administration recently unveiled the national security strategy, and it's expected to release national defense strategy as well as nuclear posture review and missile defense review soon. Again, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of weeks from right now. Again, uh, there's a lot of different reports and all of analysis, uh, satellite imageries uh, saying that North Korea is indeed done and over with uh, with their preparations for their seventh nuclear test. Uh, if they do indeed conduct that nuclear test, how will uh, South Korea's and, and its allies uh, respond? Uh, we'll have to take a closer look on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, let's go on over to the economy this time. Uh, Hyundai Motor Group's 5.5 billion U.S. dollars project. This is to establish its first EV-devoted battery plant uh, in the U.S. state of Georgia. Uh, This was launched on Tuesday local time amidst complaints about loss of tax credits uh, for Korean electric vehicles for that from through the the Inflation Reduction Act and ahead of uh, crucial midterm elections as well. But uh, I heard the launch was a huge media extravaganza. Let's, let's talk more about this, uh, Chiang. Yes, yeah, uh, media extravaganza to say the least. Now, in, in addition to officials from Hyundai, uh, U.S. statesmen and a legislator, all legislators also took part in the ceremony, including Chung Yi-san, uh, known uh, we also known as Hyundai Motor Group Executive Chair, Brian Kemp, who is Georgia's governor, and Senators Raphael Warnick and John Ossoff and Congressman Buddy Carter. Now, the EV factory, with an initial annual capacity of 300,000 battery-powered vehicles, will turn out all models from Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis and become fully operational in January 2025. Now, Executive Chair Chung Yi-sun said that Hyundai's EVs are recognized as best in class. And with the partnership, Hyundai Motors is determined to be the global leader in electrification, safety, quality, and sustainability. Now, the Korean ambassador to the United States, Cho Tae-yong, also took part in the factory launch and said that Hyundai Motors, uh, earlier than expected, groundbreaking on the new EV factory in the U.S., shows Korea's commitment. 
but he also shared some concerns about the IRA's negative impact on Korean EV sales in North America during the ceremony, but said that both Seoul and Washington are working together to find a solution. Now, uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp emphasized that Korea is one of U.S.'s largest trading partners with a whopping $71 billion investment, and that such close economic ties will help support create large-scale jobs in both countries and growth. Now, it will also help the two countries deal with global climate issues. Now, according to a White House statement, also U.S. President Joe Biden chimed in and said that this plant was announced during his trip to Korea in May. And that he's excited that the groundbreaking uh, uh, event is happening months ahead of schedule. That's right. And of course, uh, one of the senators, uh, John Ossoff, I believe, uh, visited South Korea not too long ago. And this was exactly because of this. But I I mean, again, I'm sure we're going to talk more about the the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Maybe there's going to be more, uh, I guess, uh, discussions on that front after the uh, November midterm elections on November 8th. Um, but uh, whether or not South Korean companies are going to be getting that, uh, you know, grace period right now, that's like mm-hmm. the best option at hand right now, the grace period, because like you said, it's going to be fully operational by January 2025. We have mm-hmm. about uh, two years and uh, change here. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take a closer look at that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, South Korea's credit and liquidity crunch triggered by a default in a project financing for the construction of Legoland. This, of course, in Gangwon-do province is uh, further complicating the calculations for the Bank of Korea, which is uh, set to announce its latest uh, last rate hike of the year. This is going to happen next month in November. Tan, uh, let's get the details of this. Right. The Bank of Korea was largely expected to take another big step and raise its key interest rate by 50 basis points or half a percentage point next month to tame inflation that still stays hot. But now uh, there are market projections that the Legoland triggered liquidity crisis will make it more difficult for the central bank to go ahead with another steep rate hike as it'll exacerbate the liquidity and credit crunch. And this, of course, partly because another big step would drive up the bond yields, uh, rapidly cooling the capital market. Uh, the government has announced that uh, it will uh, provide, it will expand liquidity supply programs to over 50 trillion won. But market watchers are saying that is far from enough to alleviate uh, the strains on the capital market. Gangwon-do province has also made a U-turn from its previous statements and has said it will allocate necessary budget to repay the $205 billion won it had guaranteed to finance Legoland development firm. But creditors and investors are now shunning even the top-rated corporate bonds. And some market experts have already predicted that the Bank of Korea would only raise the base rate by 25 basis points next month, reflecting concerns over the tight money market and an economic slowdown at the end of the year. But again, this will all depend on the U.S. Fed's next move. Market watchers are divided on the possibility, um, divided on the degree of the U.S. Fed's next rate hike as signs of contraction in the U.S. economy rekindled hopes that the U.S. Fed may start slowing the pace of interest rate hikes. 
Federal Reserve uh, Bank of San Francisco President Mary Daly last week said that it's time to start talking about stepping down the pace of rate hikes. Uh, that the magn- hinting that the magnitude, uh, hinting at a magnitude of further interest rate hikes. C- could soon diminish. Uh, But the majority of analysts still predict the Fed to take another giant step next month and raise its key uh, interest rate by 75 basis points uh, because the inflation in the U.S. still stays hot. Yeah, and uh, just like what we're seeing here in the uh, in South Korea as well, uh, real estate prices, I believe, in uh, the U.S. is uh, c- going down. I believe they saw a decline in ha- uh, home prices for like two consecutive months or something like that. And they're saying that this is really going to cause uh, another housing bubble burst, right, uh, as we've seen uh, in the previous uh, financial crisis over there. And so they're saying, I mean, you know, 75 basis points could be possible, but there are, I believe... Some uh, experts also say maybe they'll kind of ease it a bit and go just uh, 50 basis points. But who knows? Uh, we're watching the U.S. Fed's next move very carefully because, again, it is going to impact us and uh, how the Bank of Korea is going to respond to that. Uh, in the meantime, the Yoon Sagir administration has presented a plan for policies focused on the youth. Uh, this at the seventh plenary meeting of the Youth Policy Coordination Committee. Jiang, uh, can you cover some of the agendas from the meeting as well as the details of the policies? Yeah, sure. Um, Prime Minister Han Dok-su, he held the meeting and said that the government intends to design and implement a comprehensive youth policy plan and uh, hopes that the youth policy uh, can build a bridge that can support the dreams of uh, the youth in Korea. Now, the Youth Policy uh, Coordination Committee focused on three agendas. One, Yoon Sung-yeol's Youth Policy Promotion Plan. Two, Youth Employment Policy Direction. And three, 2023 Youth Policy Evaluation Plan in collaborations with relevant ministries. For example, the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, and Transport announced a plan to supply 500 thousand public housing for youth and people with low income. Now, regarding the housing par- policy, Prime Minister Han Dok-su said that the government will dramatically expand public housing to young people so that, can, that they can achieve their dream of owning their own house. Now, when it came to youth employment, Prime Minister Han said that the government will provide customized employment opportunities to help young people according to their stages of educational background. So there'll be different job opportunities for people with a uh, high school diploma or different opportunities for people with um, college degrees or uh, MAs or PhDs, etc. Now, the youth policies will include 376 detailed tasks in five areas, including jobs, housing, education, welfare and culture, and also human rights. Yeah, the job uh, aspect of things is going to be obviously big because we had recent reports and we covered on the show as well uh, the youth. uh, And by youth, I believe uh, the age range is like 15 to 29 is what they're saying in the past. Mm -hmm. It's taking them on average about 10.8 months for them to find their first job. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of people in the past three years uh, majority of those in the 15 to 29 age group uh, in the past three years just basically gave up looking for a job and they're mm-hmm. not even trying anymore. I believe they call it the, the need tribe or something like that. Uh, and so employment is going to be a, obviously a major thing. Housing, obviously, always another uh, major issue at hand as well. Uh, guys, we're going to move on this time. Talk about Russia because... Um, 
this is quite concerning. Russia notifying the United States about its plans to carry out its planned annual exercises of its nuclear forces. Now, remember, uh, right before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia had conduct, conducted what they called a planned annual exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, this was with uh, Belarus, and they said, oh, listen, I mean, this is not because we're going to invade Ukraine. This is something that we do all the time, and so you guys don't have to worry about it. And boom, shortly afterwards, the invasion did take place. Let's talk more about this, town. You have more details on this. Right. The U.S. government recognizes this as Russia's annual exercises, but the drills are garnering extra attention as Moscow has been employing nuclear warnings and threats since the start of its invasion of Ukraine in February, with its rhetoric being described as reckless by U.S. officials. The U.S. has said it expects Russia to carry out test launches of missiles during its annual Grum exercises of its strategic nuclear forces, noting in the past it has fired intercontinental ballistic missiles as well. U.S. officials say Russia is obliged under the new START treaty to provide advance notification of such missile launches. Uh, but still, such drills represent a potential challenge to the U.S. and its allies as Russian President Vladimir Putin has previously threatened to use nuclear weapons to defend Russia amid its ongoing aggression against Ukraine. Questions have also emerged as to whether Moscow may unleash a lower-yield tactical nuclear weapon on Ukrainian soil. So we're not talking about uh, a, a huge, massive no, no. nuclear bomb that will map out half of Europe, but uh, a, a smaller-scaled tactical nuclear weapon that targets a specific region. Right. Russia on Tuesday also flagged allegations to the UN Security Council that Ukraine is preparing to use what's called a dirty bomb on its own territory, an assertion flatly dismissed by Western and Ukrainian officials as misinformation and a pretext for further conflict escalation. A dirty bomb refers to a conventional bomb laced with radioactive, biological or chemical materials which get disseminated in an explosion. Now, on Russia's rising nuclear threat, U.S. President Biden said Russia would be making an incredibly serious mistake were it to use a tactical nuclear weapon. Uh, the U.S. and its allies suspect Russia might itself use a dirty bomb in a false flag attack. And to this, Mr. Biden said uh, he's not guaranteeing that it's a false flag operation yet, and the U.S. still doesn't know yet. Yeah, so th this is like the concerning thing. What, what Basically what Russia is saying, and I believe uh, Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov even said, listen, we have evidence uh, from certain uh, Russian uh, institutions that uh, we you know we got this information that Ukraine has these facilities. Uh, they're also capable of making nuclear weapons, but also they're making these dirty bombs. Uh, and then I believe uh, one of the um, one of the generals uh, in, in Russia basically said that look, what Ukraine is planning to do is they're going to use this dirty bomb on Ukraine and say, haha. Look, it's Russia did it. Russia is doing this right now. Now we need to continue and, you know, continue to attack uh, Russia. We need more support and things like that. But then Ukraine is basically going, look, that's Russia's plan at, you know, from the start. They're going to use the dirty bomb and then make it look like we used it. And we're trying to accuse Russia. So it's like she said, like, we don't know what's going on <laughs> right now. Mm -hmm. But the scary thing about this is that they are capable. And Russia did previously warn 
uh, Ukraine and its allies that they have dirty bombs and they're capable of using dirty bombs. Mm. That's why this is so scary. And instead, they could just be like, no, no, we didn't use it. It was just Ukraine. And uh, they're trying to just blame it on us. And uh, we have these uh, evidence of them, you know, creating these bombs. And then when I believe uh, they were asked where the evidence came from, they said, we don't we, we don't want to share the evidence here. We don't have any uh, information to share with you guys. So it is very, very concerning right now. We have talked with experts uh, in regards to this before. Uh, Russia is capable of using these technical nuclear weapons, uh, but when and uh, if uh, North Korea, uh, sorry, uh, Russia is going to be using it, how will uh, the Western allies uh, going to respond to it? Will NATO respond? Because NATO also did say that even if the, Russia does use uh, technical nuclear weapons, it's highly unlikely that we'll use nuclear weapons uh, and uh, help uh, Ukraine. So. Uh, terrible stuff going on here. Uh, in the meantime, German and European Union leaders gathering experts Tuesday local time to start work on what German Chancellor described as a new Marshall Plan. Uh, this for rebuilding Ukraine. Uh, tell us more about EU's uh, so-called uh, new Marshall Plan here. Uh, sure. Now, the Marshall Plan was a U.S.-sponsored initiative that helped revive Western European economies after World War II back in the day. And uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, whose country currently chairs the group of seven industrial powers, first announced plans for the one-day conference in the summer. Now, in a government address ahead of the June summit, Scholz had said his visit to Ukraine had reminded him of the widespread destruction that had characterized many German cities after World War II. And Chancellor Schultz said, just like war scarred Europe then, Ukraine today needs a Marshall Plan to rebuild. And this, he added, was a job for the coming generation. Now, the World Bank has estimated the cost of damage in Ukraine is around 350 billion, uh, 350 billion euros. Now, Ukrainian President Zelensky, who addressed the conference virtually, said Ukraine needs to needed funds to cover a budget of deficit of 38 billion won. So uh, to survive this winter and prevent a humanitarian catastrophe, catastrophe and wave of migration. These these fundings will be needed. Now, uh, also shows underline Germany's commitment to keep supplying Ukraine with weapons, including uh, air defense systems, as long as they're needed. Now, uh, European uh, Commission President uh, Ursula von der Leyen said in a meeting that we have no time to waste and the scale of destruction is staggering and that we need all hands on deck, the G7, the European Union, uh, Europe, strong partners like the U.S., Canada, Japan, the U.K., and also South Korea and many, many more. That's right. And of course, uh, this rebuilding plan, I mean, that's a lot of money, 350 billion euros. Mm -hmm. And I believe like the euro is, is it on parity with the U.S. dollars? I mean, you're looking at exactly like around 350 billion U.S. dollars here mm -hmm. as well. But this real building plan only happens when the war is done and over with. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, right now, it doesn't seem like the war is anytime near uh, when it seems like, uh, you know, Ukraine has uh, taken back some of these ground. The Russian forces are going to continue to attack. There was the partial mobilization. And of course, there's still the fear and concerns over whether or not uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin will indeed go with using uh, tactical nuclear weapons, which then will completely change uh, this entire war uh, in itself. But uh, nevertheless, guys thank you very much for your report today please stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again yeah, thank see you, you.
You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.